This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. CBS News Face the Nation in 60 seconds. Are you looking to hit your fitness goals? Let Beachbody On Demand help you get there. No need to go to a gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there on your personal device. They have programs for any fitness level, and the workouts range from cardio to weight training to yoga, low impact, and even dance. There are over 600 different workouts on the platform. Beachbody On Demand even provides comprehensive nutrition plans to help you meet your goals because working out is just part of the equation. Access to information on meal prep, variety of recipes, and simple but proven eating plans. You need to give this service a try. Right now, listeners can get a free trial membership when you text FTN to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutrition information free. Just text FTN to 303030. Text FTN to 303030. Today on Face the Nation, the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School march on Washington leading more than 200,000 in the largest youth-led protest since Vietnam. Welcome to the revolution. Across the nation and around the world, thousands and thousands more came out to voice their support for tougher gun laws. But will Washington lawmakers get the message? Vote them out! Last week, Congress enacted some new school safety measures and made modest changes to the background check system for gun purchases. Is this all they can get done in an election year? And it was another head-turning week at the White House. On Friday, President Trump first tweeted out a threat to veto a massive spending package, then changed course and signed it just four hours later, saying he wanted to protect military spending increases. I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. The president's disagreements with National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster led to his ouster. He'll be replaced by Bush administration hardliner Ambassador John Bolton. Presidential attorney John Dowd is also out. Mr. Trump said he'd like to be interviewed by the special counsel Robert Mueller, but Dowd reportedly didn't want him to. U.S. stocks had their worst week in two years as concerns about a potential trade war intensify after the president's steel and aluminum tariffs went into effect, and he slapped close to $60 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese imports. The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, will be here. And we'll speak with Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst about the impact of a trade war on her home state. And the Stoneman Douglas student activists who led that rally in Washington join us. 
We'll also have plenty of political analysis. It's all ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan. Forty days ago, 14 students and three teachers were killed in a shooting rampage at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Yesterday, survivors led a march on Washington. CBS News estimates the crowd topped just over 200,000 supporters. They were joined by protesters in more than 800 cities in what was billed as the March for Our Lives. The goal? Action in Washington and at the state level for tougher gun control measures. Our elected officials have seen American after American drop from a bullet. And instead of waking up to protect us, they have been hitting the snooze button. But we're here to shake them awake. In Washington, appearances were limited to young leaders and victims of gun violence. Nine-year-old Yolanda Renee King echoed the inspiring speech her grandfather delivered in Washington almost 54 years ago. I have a dream that enough is enough. And that this should be a gun-free world, period. In Atlanta, another hero of the civil rights movement weighed in. We're never too young, we're never too old to march. We begin today with Virginia Senator Mark Warner. He's the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee. He joins us here. Senator, a lot to talk to you about, but I want to speak first about this march on Washington that we saw. March is over. Congress is on break. You did see tucked into that spending bill this week some tightening of background checks with fixed NICs and some funding for school safety. Is this all we're going to see before November? I hope not. And there was finally some incremental movement. But in this era of fake news and disinformation, to see the genuineness of all those young people, I think this time it's going to be different. I think their demand for sensible gun control, uh, I think we can actually get it done. And I just hope they will keep that energy alive and moving forward. It was, I really think it was democracy in action, not just in Washington, but all across the country yesterday. In terms of what can be done, you were one of 16 Democrats who voted against an assault weapons ban in 2013. Then in 2014, you voted against a cap on high-capacity magazines. They're asking now to restrict those things. Have you changed your position? I think it's time to change our positions and re-examine I'd always been in favor of universal background checks, particularly after Sandy Hook. But I think it's time for us to have a legitimate debate about restrictions on gun magazines and assault weapons. You get into definitions, but the basic notion of these weaponized, militarized weapons need to be off our streets. And even the Trump administration took some small step this weekend on bump bump stocks. So I think it's time, and I hope these kids continue to press. What would you recommend to them in terms of where they focus their energy now? Well, I think the fact that they're going to call for a walkout in April is appropriate. And I think the most important thing they can do, register and vote. End of the day, that's the way you change democracy. You have about seven months to go until these congressional uh, elections. You and Homeland Security have been looking into election meddling, and they've found that Russian agents targeted uh, voting systems uh, in 21 states ahead of the 2016 election. How do you stop that from happening seven months from now? Well, we are behind, and it's was remarkable that it took Department of Homeland Security this much time to identify those 21 states. 
And the thing that bothers me the most... Or to publicly disclose them, or well, to disclose them to your committee. Or even, no, even they took them eight months to even tell the actual states. They had this ridiculous excuse that the top election official would not have appropriate security clearances. And what I think is Im- an embarrassment and a bit disgraceful is that this president still has not called out election security, has not told his top law enforcement and top intelligence agents to make this a priority. He clearly didn't raise it on his call with uh, Vladimir Putin, where he instead congratulated what John McCain called a dictator in a sham election. So our committee, bipartisan, people like Martin Heinrich and Kamala Harris, Susan Collins, James Lankford, we came up with legislation that said, let's make sure there's that paper trail after every paper ballot, paper trail after every vote. Let's make sure there's better sharing of information. And in the spending bill, there was about $386 million to help states get their act together because we're already in primary seasons. Will that make a difference in November? It will make a difference, but it will make even more of a difference if this White House would actually realize this is a national security concern and what the Russians did in the 2016 elections in terms of sowing dissension, weaponizing information has not stopped and in many ways has continued unabetted since that time. This week, Facebook revealed that uh, Russian propaganda group created about 500 fake accounts running ads around the election and spent about $100,000 on divisive ads. Can you possibly legislate a fix to prevent that kind of thing from happening again? Well, first of all, Facebook unfortunately, and all the social media companies were really slow to respond. I called this out in December of 2016, and at first they kind of blew me off and others off who were raising these issues. Mark Zuckerberg's apologizing. Well, the the truth is it's not just the paid ads. That's a small piece. It's the fake accounts that literally touched close to 145 million Americans. And that's just with fake accounts. The next wave of technology will be able to have your image with words coming out of your mouth that may not be said or your face put on somebody else's body in terms of next wave of technology. So we have to get our arms around this. And I think Mr. Zuckerberg needs to come and testify before Congress, not just put an advertisement in the newspaper. He said he would if he he was the right guy. He is the right guy. He can't send a staff. When, When I'm called upon on an issue, it's my name on the door. I mean, you wouldn't take a staff member here on, on uh, your show representing me. He needs to come testify before Congress and explain how they're going to work with us to both protect privacy. There were 50 million Facebook accounts that were used by this sketchy firm, Cambridge Analytica, and how we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again in terms of weaponization of these social media platforms. And with Cambridge Analytica, what you're talking about there is this firm that sort of scraped some of this data that people didn't know their their personal information was going to be used or manipulated uh, in the process. Um, Steve Bannon, former White House strategist, also served at one time on the board, I believe, at Cambridge Analytica. He says he knew nothing about the Facebook mining. Is that a credible denial to you? I would like to. Have, I would love to have that kind of interview with Steve Bannon. I'm not sure. Do you plan to? We hope to. Yes, we do. And what we know about Cambridge Analytica. Specifically I mean, is, on the Cambridge Analytica well, We've raised the question of micro-targeting in Cambridge Analytica as early as March of 17. There's something a little fishy about this firm. And we now know that the CEO reached out to Julian Assange, uh, the famous WikiLeaks leader, about hacked emails. We know that this, country, this company 
worked with, uh, reported to work with a Russian oil company who was looking about election data in America. The big question is Cambridge Analytica, who bragged about how much they helped the Trump campaign micro-target. Were they just helping the Trump campaign? Were they utilizing some of the Russian misinformation and disinformation? There are legitimate questions that need to be answered. Again, a reason why our investigation needs to continue and why the Mueller investigation needs to continue. Senator Warner, thank you for your time. Thank you. We want to turn now to Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst. She joins us this morning from Omaha, Nebraska. Senator, good morning. I want to ask you about the impact of those tariffs on your home state. But uh, first off, I want to ask you, because you are one of the top 10 recipients of NRA funding in the Senate, uh, your image was being held up by some of those protesters at the rally here in Washington yesterday. I wonder how you are responding to these young activists who are calling for gun control. Well, Margaret, I want to push back on that because I myself don't receive uh, funding from outside organizations other than what those smaller donations that might come from PACs. Many outside organizations will run advertisements without the consent of candidates. They'll run advertisements for candidates, against candidates. I have no control over that. My campaign has no control over that. So you're separating yourself Um, from the NRA by saying that? I am, no, I am not separating myself from the NRA. I would state that there are a lot of outside organizations that cannot coordinate with candidates or their campaigns. That's against election law. Um, So they will do what they want to do. But I will say that um, I am a supporter of the Constitution. I'm a supporter of our Bill of Rights. Uh, We have many rights that need to be upheld in the United States. And I would say that I have been a Second Amendment supporter my lifetime. I was a member of the NRA long before the NRA knew of Joni Ernst, private citizen in Iowa. And your advice to those young activists? I would say I I appreciate the fact that they have the right to peacefully protest and inform the government of what they believe is the right path forward. I think every citizen has the right to do that. But every citizen, as long as they are law-abiding, also has the right to exercise their Second Amendment rights. So what we don't want to do as a nation is start stripping rights away from law-abiding citizens. So I think that the status quo is not okay, and that's what these young demonstrators are, are speaking out against. And so we do have to find a way forward, but simply stating we need to get rid of other people's rights is not the right way forward. Senator, U.S. stocks had their worst week in about two years, in part due to these concerns of a trade war. Iowa is a major exporter to China. What will these new tariffs the president announced on China and other countries do to your home state? Well, nobody wins in a trade war, Margaret, and especially with uh, the Chinese officials, their media reporting that they will retaliate against American agricultural products, namely pork and soybeans. China has uh, purchased $14 billion worth in 2016 of American soybeans, and roughly 60% of our soybean crop does go to China. So if they start retaliating, uh, we will see significant impact, very detrimental impact, not just in Iowa, but across the Midwest as well. Now, the White House has not yet detailed exactly what these tariffs on China are going to look like. Are they talking to Republicans like yourself? 
Well, there, there are talks, and I have spoken on trade issues directly with the president before, and I hope that we can continue those conversations in the future. I know that uh, Congress had the U.S. Trade Rep, uh, Robert Lighthizer, in front of it the other day. They were asking him questions, and it was concerning that Mr. Lighthizer came back and said, yes, it will be painful, basically, for the American farmer, um, but that's a small price to pay. And I, I disagree. If we want to close up trade deficits, we need to do it in a smart manner. And then let's allow American agriculture to close that gap. Let's open up additional markets, not close them off to agricultural goods. You also sit on the Armed Services Committee, and late Friday, the president did announce that he was changing his position, but still uh, banning, essentially, transgender people from serving in the military. Do you support that? Well, I support allowing those uh, transgenders that can serve. I believe they should serve. Um, we do want to make sure that they meet physical requirements. We can't waive that. That is true across any um, any demographic within our military, making sure that they are physically fit and they meet the mental standard. But I've asked transgenders myself, you know, if you are, are willing to lay down your life um, beside mine, I would welcome you into our military. But again, there are standards that have to be met, and I will support the president and the administration on making sure that standards are met. But if there are transgenders that, that meet those qualifications, certainly I would gladly have them serving in our United United States military. Will you ask the White House to change its position? Well, I think the, the White House has done a very studied analysis of um, how we have the best qualified people coming into the military. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy to have those discussions with the administration. But again, making sure that those standards are applied fairly across the spectrum of every citizen that wants to join our United States military. Senator, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Margaret. We want to take a closer look at the Never Again movement. It began hours after the February 14th shooting in Parkland, Florida. We are not here for breadcrumbs. We are here for real change. We are here to lead. They might preach NRA. They might preach GUN. But we're preaching REV. Register. Educate. Vote. But it was Emma Gonzalez's six-minute and 20-second presentation, the exact time of the gunman's rampage, that brought the crowd to silence. As she stood still, tears streaming down her face, honoring those who were lost. Since the time that I came out here, it has been six minutes and 20 seconds. The shooter has ceased shooting and will soon abandon his rifle, blend in with the students as they escape, and walk free for an hour before arrest. Fight for your lives before it's someone else's job. Today we welcome five of those student activists, Jacqueline Corrin, Ryan Deitch, Delaney Tarr, plus Cameron Kasky and Emma Gonzalez. Uh, Emma, what was that like watching yourself on tape there? That was kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, in the moment, it felt so good to finally say it because, of course, it's really stressful the whole day. You're waiting and waiting and waiting, and I was the last one. So it had just been building up, and it felt so good to finally say it. Cameron, uh, what is the overarching policy goal here? I mean, what are you asking for here in Washington? Well, here in Washington, we are demanding an assault weapons ban. We are demanding the pre prohibition of sales of high-capacity ma magazines. 
and we are demanding universal background checks, which is something you'll see from the polls. Pretty much the entire country is behind, and yet we've seen nothing of it. Well, you did have a statement from the White House yesterday where the president said he appreciated you all celebrating your First Amendment right uh, and pointed that his administration banned bump stocks. They enacted the Stop School Violence Act, which authorized grants to increase school safety and uh, some actions to improve background check records. Do all of you consider that progress? You know, the Stop School Violence Act doesn't even mention the word gun once. Obviously, school safety is important, but it doesn't just happen in schools, and people need to understand that. It's a public safety issue, not a school safety issue. So we need to protect, we need to fight the, the problem from the core, which is guns. You, you'll notice in all these shootings, not just the ones in schools, in movie theaters, airports, churches, nightclubs, there's no specific mental health issue that you can tie to every single one. The only thing you could tie to every single one is weapons that belong in the hands of soldiers, in the hands of citizens who are untrained. Do you think that the more than 200,000 people who came out yesterday agree with all of the points that you have been asking for here, well, Delaney? We got some news. I mean, I do believe that uh, even if they, there's some difference in opinion on some small issues, ultimately the fact is that all of these people coming to the largest march on Washington, because it is the largest march on Washington, they were there because they support the cause. They support safety. They support our lives and protecting our lives, and that's what matters. Even if there is some small issue that they don't necessarily stand with us on, they stand with us. And that's uh, what matters. Well, I mean, I can say from firsthand, as I said the line, we need to arm our teachers, I heard booing from the crowd. I heard they were clearly not behind a message like that. And when I turned it around to say that they need to be armed with pens, pencils, paper, and the money they need to support themselves, uh, you could see the crowd regain support, regain. Like, so there were yeah, you about, confused uh, people a little bit on that. I did first. confuse a lot of people, but <laughs> oh the, the crowd was very like minded because they all were on the same page that they just didn't want to see all these innocent children die. Now, you all are not just rallying here in Washington, you've also been put it, pushing in your home state of Florida. Mm -hmm. um, but Florida did just decide that they're going to allow training of some teachers to be armed. Some districts can opt out. Do you feel like you lost the argument back at home? Not at all. As a matter of fact, in Florida, they passed a bill that raised the age to 21, added a three-day waiting period. Mm -hmm. These are very small steps in the right direction. But I think you'll notice if all teachers are required to be armed, or at least several teachers per building, many teachers will quit. We have sp Every single teacher from my school that I've spoken to said that if there was an armed teacher in their building, trained or not, they would be out of there. Arming teachers only puts kids more in danger, and it puts the teachers in more danger. Were you surprised to see action in your home state before you saw it in Washington? Yes, yeah, very, very much so, because Rick Scott is funded by the NRA. Your governor. And, yes, um, our governor, and he defied it in a sense, and the NRA in turn sued the state of Florida. So that's obviously a step in the right direction. He's running for senator, so that might have been a reason why he did it, to get the popular vote, but it's still a step. You're cynical. You're, you're political <laughs> gaming here, huh? You're, you're student class president, is that right? Yeah. When you're looking at this kind of political activism right now, are you inspired that you want to actually become politically involved after 100%, you graduate? 100%, yeah. You want to run for office yourself someday? Maybe so. I mean, I wasn't really politically involved before this, but I've learned so much in a matter of a month and a half that it's intrigued me, poli sci, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break in a few seconds, so we don't have much time here, uh, and then we'll come back and finish the conversation. But quickly, can you raise your hand if you're going to be voting in November? Are you eligible to vote? 
Mm-hmm. My birthday's in October, so I, I hit the mark. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not a Russian computer, so I can't vote in the next election. But for the one vote <laughs> I can't cast, we'll have thousands for us. And do you have congressional candidates who have signed on to your agenda? We're not um, endorsing any political figures. Are they endorsing your platform? We endorse ideas, not people. If and they choose to support us, then we absolutely, we, we love that. We, we, won't, we won't support, but we're not endorsing any particular candidates. Okay. We have to take a real quick short break, but I want all of you to stay with us and all of you at home as well. We'll be right back. If you like this podcast, check out what other podcasts are available from CBS News Radio. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Every week, an extended conversation at a restaurant at our nation's capital with newsmakers like the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Scott Pruitt. Climate's changing. We contribute to it. I've said that a thousand times, okay? Chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez. That's what this president has always been about. He divides people. Samantha Bee, our very special guest. I think I just realized my voice is really boring on podcasts. I'm sorry, everyone. Subscribe now for a new podcast every Friday morning. The Takeout with me, Major Garrett. Welcome back to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan. We continue our conversation with Stoneman Douglas High School students Jacqueline Corrin, Ryan Deitch, and Delaney Tarr, plus Cameron Caskey and Emma Gonzalez. You guys are more than, than students. You've become activists. You've had this incredible turnout, not just here in Washington, but around the country. Um, Emma, how do you keep this momentum going? We're going to be pushing for, just as Ryan was saying, we're going to be revving up for the election. This is not the end. This was just the beginning. We're going to, over the summer, we're going to try to, um, you know, go around to colleges and stuff and or communities, um, reach out to the kids locally all around the country. And we didn't just have support all over the country. We had support all over the world. We had, like, almost 900 marches yesterday. What did that feel like? I mean, what did you do after the march? Did you go home and watch the news coverage? We went to to eat some food. Then we had a nice hangout at the hotel, which is why my voice is so hoarse, because I was screaming, (laughs) like, the whole night. We, you know, moving forward, it's all about registering to vote, educating others, and starting more of a conversation so Mm -hmm. more people get politically involved. Because, again, the youth of America needs to step up and start voting. You'll see the statistics. It's an embarrassing turnout. Uh, one in five people in the last election showed up in the 18 to, was it 29 demographic? 18 mm-hmm. 29. And, we and you think, for, for you all at this table, you have become single-issue voters. You won't back someone or vote for them unless they sign on to the agenda that you laid out? We're not backing anybody in general, and we're not single-issue But when you do get the chance to vote, that is something, that you won't vote for someone who doesn't support what you're asking for. Yeah. yeah. It should be something that is at the forefront of the political conversation. It kills more people a year than leukemia. It's an epidemic that we need to face. But which, it, specifically, someone has to call for a ban on AR-15s for you to vote for them? I mean, I would favor that candidate over another one that... As long as they support some of our ideals more so than the other person, I would vote for them. We know that this is an issue of compromise and that not necessarily in every state we're going to have a politician who is asking for everything that we're asking for. But we want, more than anything, our voters to make educated votes. We want them to know what it is they're voting on. And that's what we've been pushing, because even if they don't necessarily always agree with us, our country needs to know what they're voting on. We can't have them stand behind when there's issues like this that need to be at the forefront of the conversation. Like Jackie said, this needs to be a centralized issue in the next election. From what you've seen from very recent polls, we were at Fox News this morning, we saw a poll they put out. The American people are starting to not be interested in putting anybody into office who's on the NRA's payroll. 
Well, it, we actually also have a poll ourselves that I wanted to cite to you. The CBS mm -hmm. News YouGov poll shows two-thirds of those surveyed say they need to agree with their candidate for the midterm elections on the issue of gun control. So what we see in November is going to be heavily influenced, they are saying, by where that candidate stands on gun control. That's consistent among Democrats, Republicans, and independents. As well, it should be. Because this is a non-party issue. This is bipartisan. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the issues at the forefront of our nation right now, because yeah. as, as you've seen, there have been shootings since the one at Stoneman Douglas. So this violence isn't going to end unless we do something concrete. And yet you didn't see the change that you were asking for immediately. This for you is a well, long-term Well, it's, it's, the, it's the government, their bureaucracy, and they will continually bog things down. I mean, the Stop School Violence Act, if you actually read the whole thing, it doesn't really do much. Most of it is already things that have been done, especially in our school. A lot of those were already checked off, but these things still happened. I mean, it, it's just going to continue to happen unless we change something. That bill... The, the, the silent rhetoric behind it is that since the government will never agree on anything, let's pass something very easy and simple that everyone can get behind. But that's because it doesn't do anything. This, that bill does nothing to keep the students or people outside of schools outside of the line of fire. And we're fighting for that people bill, everywhere. That bill, you're talking about fix nicks? You're talking yes, about... No, stop school violence. Stop school violence. This isn't just in schools. We met with people from communities who, have to, who are frightened to leave their houses mm -hmm. because, and who have woken up to the sound of gunshots very frequently. This is everywhere. This is an epidemic. And the Stop School Violence Act does almost nothing to stop it. It doesn't say the word gun once. It doesn't say the words background checks once. Mm -hmm. And 97% of the country in a poll showed that they support universal background checks. Anyone who doesn't, I, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, all of you, as you say, you're going to continue to work on this. We'll continue to track what you get done. Thank you very much for coming here. Congratulations. Thank you for having On the rally. I know you're all very excited about that. <laughs> We want to turn now to a student at Stoneman Douglas High School who has an opposing viewpoint in the debate over gun violence. Since the shooting at his school last month, Kyle Kashuv has met with President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump, along with top lawmakers in Congress, pushing proposals to improve school safety and voice his support for the Second Amendment. And Kyle Kashuv is here with us today. Kyle, welcome to Face the Nation. Thank you. Now, you don't necessarily support the march that just happened, but tell me why you're here in Washington. Well, look, I'm here for one very simple reason. I don't want to see this ever happen again. And when I saw the march yesterday, which really frustrated me, is that I have a different point of view, but what really concerned me was that how come I wasn't invited to speak at the march? Because as Americans, we all have different point of views, and it's important to represent them all equally. And your point of view is what? You, you don't agree with the agenda that they're laying out there in terms of uh, restrictions on assault well, weapons? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I talked to senators and I looked at all the facts, and they all point in the same direction, that a ban on assault weapons will not solve this issue. It's simply... Um, and it's simply restrictions on high-capacity magazines? That won't solve the issue. What we've seen is that there are certain things such as um, having ha enforcing the regulation that's currently in law. I mean, we've seen on so many different levels that the cowards of Broward failed, the FBI failed... Sheriff Scott Israel failed. So many different multi-layered levels failed in Parkland. And it's absolutely reprehensible that I didn't see one single poster yesterday at the march that said F the NRA, that, no, sorry, that said F Sheriff Scott Israel. So uh, you are a survivor. You mm -hmm. lived through this assault yourself. What do you think would have prevented you, another student like you from going through something similar? Well, look, I mean, this kid was flagged. He was flagged by the Child Protect Services. The he shooter? Was, yeah. 
I don't like to say his name out. I, I, I prefer not to. He was flagged by the FBI. He was flagged so many different times by the Barrett Sheriff's Office. And it's, we need to see that we have to hold our government accountable. We have to, because this can happen again if our government does not do what it's supposed to do. And I find it ironic that after all this, and we've seen so many different government failures, we want to trust the government even more. Do you have any points of agreement with your classmates? I agree with them completely that this cannot happen ever again. But I differ with them on what policy needs to be made. So you've been here in Washington. You actually, you were welcome to the White House. Mm -hmm. um, the First Lady invited you as well. Do you think that you're going to stay politically involved? Well, look, I'm going to do everything that I have to do to make sure this won't ever happen again and to ensure American safety. So have you considered, I mean, give me a sense, when you go back to, to Parkland and you have to go to school and sit in the same classroom with some of these people you're disagreeing with, how many other fellow students support your way of thinking? There, there's a very, there's a silent minority at Stoneman Douglas who agrees with me completely. Um, something called the Marshall Program, which was registered and, and implemented in Florida, and which would allow um, properly trained officers... And, and, and veterans and unemployed veterans to acquire the training to protect our schools because we've seen in Maryland that the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And it really concerned me as to how come we did not see you a single person. You would person. have liked more armed guards at the school. Absolutely. I mean, we saw it in Maryland. He, he stopped the shooter. He did his job. And had the cowards of Broward done their job, I think that the, the count in Parkland would have been much lower. We saw that in Maryland that a good guy with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. The only way to stop an active shooter on campus is to have another person to, to eliminate him. So in your meetings with uh, people on Capitol Hill and at the White House, did you get any promises to take action? Did they tell you anything would be done to follow through on what you're laying out? Every single senator that I've spoken with does not want to see this happen. I spoke with Senator Marco Rubio. Of course. He cares so much about this, and it pains me to see how he's being represented in the media. But did they promise to do any of the things that you're asking for? They promised to fight tooth and nail to make sure this won't ever happen again. But we have to make sure that the laws that we're enacting don't hurt America on a national scale. And that's why I think that we have to sit down with all members of this issue, okay, sit down with with me and David Hogg or Cameron Caskey and debate this and find a common middle ground because that's the only way that we're going to protect the American people. Kyle, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. We'll be back in a moment with our political panel. Don't have time to keep up with the news? Try the CBS News Radio app on your iOS or Android device. You'll get the latest news as soon as you start it up. It's that easy. You can also listen to great programming like Face the Nation, Weekend Roundup, or the CBS Evening News. And good evening. Wall Street today signaled its approval of the tax cuts passed by the Republican-controlled Congress. You can even download them straight to your phone and listen later. It's all on the CBS News Radio app for iOS or Android. Download it today. And now some political analysis. Jamel Bowie is the chief political correspondent at Slate and a CBS News political analyst. Michael Gerzon is a columnist at The Washington Post. We'd like to welcome to the program Zeke Miller. He's a White House reporter for the Associated Press. And Anne Guerin is a White House correspondent for The Washington Post. Lots, as always, to talk about in the week that was. But, Zeke, we saw some news this morning out of the White House. The president had dismissed his legal counsel, John Dowd, earlier in the week. He said he was going to replace him, but now we're learning the president can't hire the person he wanted. 
What's going on? Well, we're finding out that the Trump legal team looks a little like uh, the Trump White House to a certain extent, where they're just not getting the I's uh, dotted and the T's crossed, where uh, here the, the Trump legal team is saying that because his new attorneys had represented others in that uh, in, in, the, in the Russia investigation, that uh, that they are conflicted out from working for the president. And that uh, is, you know, that's one of those things that they probably should have worked out before they got rid of John Dowd. So what happened? How did John Dowd get fired before there was actually a new lawyer to replace him? Well, it's, it's, it's really not entirely clear. Like everything else around the, the Trump legal team, it is kind of a little slapdash to a certain extent where they're not actually uh, doing, the, do, doing all the legwork. And also it's the challenge of working for President Trump where he does make some of those decisions somewhat impulsively. And that doesn't always lead to sort of all the follow through that and all the background that needs to get the legwork that needs to get all those things in place. And we saw another shakeup at the White House this week. H.R. McMaster, who has been rumored to be departing the White House for some time, actually is now resigning. He's being replaced by John Bolton. What does that signal about what's ahead for foreign policy? Well, I think it signals buckle up. Um, John Bolton is a uh, very, very skilled tactician. Uh, He has been around Washington for decades. Uh, He has held uh, some of the most extreme uh, views uh, now represented in in the White House uh, in in administrations past and and in between those administrations. Uh, And he has been consistent. Uh, I do not expect him to change those views at all. He is uh, an interventionist uh, in in the classic sense. Uh, He was the original neoconservative. Uh, and but the president campaign saying he didn't support those ideas. Right. He, uh, the president has, has said that the Iraq war was one of the biggest blunders of uh, uh, American history, not just foreign policy, history, period. Uh, John Bolton was and remains a, a resolute supporter of, of, of the Iraq war. Uh, I think it, it very much remains to be seen how, how, how they mesh on, on policy. Uh, it, Trump appears to like Bolton for his, uh, his pithy, forthright opinions, often expressed on Fox News, uh, but also just that, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a guy who, who Trump recognizes. He, he is uh, very opinionated very, and very firm in those uh, opinions. And one of the things he didn't like about McMaster is that he thought that McMaster was too cerebral and, and caveated everything on this hand and that hand. He didn't like that. I think one thing that's worth noting about President Trump is that during the campaign, he did campaign uh, against the Iraq war, but that wasn't necessarily uh, sort of a, a dovish position. President, uh, President Trump, throughout the campaign in 2016, said that what the United States military should have done is taken the oil. Mm-hmm. It should have been much more aggressive. It should have mm-hmm. essentially acted as an almost imperial power in Iraq. And I think there's a degree to which Bolton, uh, the Bolton choice reflects this aggressiveness uh, within Trump's political message, even that 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 was there at the same time that Trump was skeptical of the Iraq War. I, I agree with that. I mean, he, he is not a neoconservative. He does not believe in the promotion the of democracy. The president is not. No, no, no. Bolton is. Bolton. Not. Um, he is much more in the category of Dick Cheney, um, a hard power realist, um, an interventionist. Exactly right, um, but not with an idealistic bent. Um, so I think it does kind of fit the president in a certain way. But I think sometimes we read a little bit too much into these, too, because I'm not sure that this represents some kind of change in policy. I think it's just equally plausible that the president likes people who play loyalists on television. Um, and that's exactly what he was. In, and I think that's what attracted the president to him, not his views on foreign policy. 
It's interesting you say you don't necessarily view him as, as ideological in this sense, because there has been this narrative that the president's surrounding himself with people who are more ideological on, on some of these issues. Certainly on, on Iran, uh, Bolton has been on the record that he wants to fully pull out of this nuclear deal. He's been on the record urging some military uh, intervention in North Korea as well. I think he's deferring to people who defer to him, um, who are, are not disagreeing with him. I mean, he's punished people that confront him, that, uh, that bring a different perspective. I don't think it's that Larry Kudlow is a Kempite. That's not the reason that he's there. He's a supply sider. The president is not. He, he doesn't have any views on that topic, as far as I can tell. Um, but he's a loyalist. Um, and I think he's selected out people who have strong in, uh, views that disagree with him. Well, we saw that even just in all the factions early on in the administration, whether it be the Jared Kushner wing, which has been weakened, the Ryan Priebus uh, wing of the Republican establishment that's also been weakened, and the Steve Bannon wing of nationalists have been largely exiled out of this administration. What's been replaced, that team of rivals is kind of this squad of cheerleaders of people who have that personal relationship with the president. That's what he values more than anything else. And I think that's ex exactly the right way to view both the Kudlow hire and then also this film with Bolton. I, I don't. I think we, we shouldn't understate, though, that Kudlow, uh, Bolton, these are they're television personalities as much as they're pundits or operators. And I, I think there is something to the fact that the president, who does watch a, a tremendous amount of Fox News, who every morning tweets, uh, live tweets as Fox News he viewing. He doesn't watch television He doesn't watch often. television at all. He's never uh, seen a lick of it. But there's uh, there has to be a degree to which this does just reflect the president's comfort with these television personalities, mm -hmm. that he likes what they say on TV, and so he wants them in his White House. Well, I, fitting that idea is, is Larry Kudlow, who's on his economic team now, replacing Gary Cohn, rejects the idea of tariffs, and the president doubled down this week on the tariffs, not just in steel and aluminum, but putting them on China. How do, how do you make sense of, of that, Michael? I mean, did this start a trade you, war? I don't think you do make logical sense of it. I mean, this is President... He's not just surrounded by chaos. The chaos is internal. He doesn't have consistent views on a number of things. Tariffs may be actually an exception. This is one issue that he has talked about for quite a while. Um, but it certainly doesn't influence his personnel choices in this case. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think we do overinterpret these things. And do you think that putting these tariffs on China, even though they're not detailed yet, complicates the rest of the diplomacy with North Korea because we need China's help? For sure. I mean, it, it, this is something that, that Trump talked about, a version of this on the campaign, and people expected to see early on in, in the administration the fact that he didn't move on it quickly was seen as, oh, he's actually serious about trying to do something a, a, about North Korea. And then they did it. They spent a year applying very strict sanctions uh, with China's cooperation and, and help uh, at the United Nations. Uh, and Trump would occasionally, you know, uh, smack Xi Jinping around a little bit saying, oh, he's not doing enough. But then almost in the same same breath, he would say, but he's a good guy. He's trying. He's trying to do something. And it Trump really does appear to understand that a key to any solution with North Korea, be, uh, it goes through China. Uh, and so why he's doing this now um, is a mystery to me. Uh, and it, it absolutely complicates things. We have not heard uh, China say at this point that they will no longer cooperate or, or really make any definitive statements uh, about North Korea at all. But clearly it's a card they now have to play. See, what happened on Friday? The president came out and tweeted he was going to 
veto this $1.3 trillion spending package that he had been persuaded and the White House had said he was going to sign off on. And then four hours later, he changes his mind again. Well, it'd been, it'd been, he'd been pretty clear that he did not like this legislation. Paul Ryan had to go over to the White House and sort of convince him uh, earlier in the week to sort of get behind it. But he was watching television news. It, it all comes back to the similar. He was watching Fox News get the criticism from traditional uh, conservatives over big spending legislation. This was big spending legislation that Republicans ran against and talked a lot about, certainly in the Obama years. Um, and that this is one the president was going to have to sit down and sign. Uh, so it was, it was, it was the $1.3 billion, uh, trillion dollar tri- price tag was also some of the other little sweeteners that Democrats got as an inducement to get their votes. All of those things got the president kind of uh, riled up that morning. And it's not clear what he, what he even thought he was going to get. It wasn't a negotiating position. Congress was out of town. Uh, but it just it was a, it's a little bit of venting and frustration. It was striking to watch that, uh, watch that venting happen on Twitter because it's this remarkable statement of presidential weakness. This is a Republican president with the Republican Congress, and this is a Republican-crafted spending bill fundamentally. And the president has gone on his, his main platform to say, I, will, I, hate this, I hate this bill, I'm not going to let it happen again, which raises the question, how did it happen in the first place? And, and I think that reflects the extent to which President Trump is not a particularly engaged president with Congress, does not have the kind of strength of relationships that would get him to work his will mm-hmm. through Congress. And I'm I'm just kind of shocked that he would express this and like let the world know that this is the case. Um, but I suppose that is how President Trump does things. He imagines himself a great negotiator, but this is a loser's bluff. This is something that uh, you know not a good negotiating approach. Um, to say and, you're going to do something and then not do it. Right, exactly. And, and he wants high stakes negotiations with the North Koreans, with the Chinese on on tariffs. But it's really kind of a self-confidence without accomplishment. I don't see him as particularly good in negotiations, particularly with the Congress, but in other areas. Um, so I, I think that he imagines himself the great negotiator, but I'm not sure that the reality shows it. Michael, I want to ask you about another TV moment yet to come. On 60 Minutes on this network tonight, Stormy Daniels is going to tell her story. Uh, this week, we also heard from a Playboy playmate who claims to have had this past affair with Donald Trump before he was president. Are these stories credible and do they matter? Well, it's actually an extraordinary cultural moment that a porn star is more credible than the president of the United States when it comes to these matters. And I don't think it's even close. Um, I would take her word over his on any of these matters. Um, This is a case where the president has been caught in a certain approach, which is he plays it close to the line. He violates rules. he, He does unethical things. And then he buys the silence of others. He buys legal threats. He encourages non-disclosure agreements, trying to cover what he does. Um, and she has called him on this. Um, this is, I, and I think it's a it's a it, amazing cultural moment. A cultural moment. Does it have a political cost? I, I think it does. One, one thing that's striking about the the Stormy Daniels controversy. Scandal. I know we don't even know what to call I, I don't, it. Really, not, uh, Daniel's Kate. I don't know. Um, is that she's been able to keep it in the news? Like unlike so well, that's much part of the legal strategy, it would appear. Right, right. So much, unlike so much of the the controversy around President Trump, she and her lawyers have been able to make this a continuing story. And that, for me, is why I think this might actually have some political consequence for him down the road because it it is putting him in a bind. It's putting him and his team in a bind. They have to do something. Um, to address it without kind of confirming it. And that is something, that's a, that's a, a line they haven't been able to... Mm-hmm. And he's been to, silent on this, right. which is extraordinary. Uh, very quickly, Anne, are we going to see the White House expel Russian diplomats as they're indicating 
Uh, it's certainly uh, something that the White House is considering, uh, and Trump appears to to be ready to go along with it. Um, as we've discussed here, he changes his mind a lot. Um, but a minimum of 20 is what's on the table, um, according to people I've talked to in the last couple of days. Uh, and this would be in solidarity with Britain. We'll watch and see. Thank you very much to all of you. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Senators Mark Warner and Joni Ernst. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.